9.30 this morning, we leave our condo, excited, thinking, hey, it's only 15 minutes to get here. We do our banking right over here next door. And so I, I, I come down the steps, I go into the garage and I, uh, to get the car out, close the door, and, and I hear this just flow of water. And I think, boy, the folks upstairs probably got something going on that's really weird. But as I come out, Holly says, look, look, and outside, all this water is just flowing right out of the side of the building. And so I'm looking, thinking, what is going on? And so I open up the panel, it says fire emergency. Meanwhile, the bell is ringing. And so I open up the thing, and there's a little nozzle that you can turn, hopefully to turn the flow of the water off. I just touch it, and it breaks off. <laughs> and this thing is just, the water is just flowing, and I'm just getting drenched. I mean, if the Presbyterians are right, Man, I was baptized again. And so I'm sitting there going, what to do? So I, I call 911. And I, and no, no flames, no smoke. But I said, we got water, we're going to drown. You know, so uh, send a fireman to figure out what to do. So then about that time, the gentleman who lives downstairs, he comes out in his pajamas, kind of groggy. And what's going on? You know, pastor, you're here for one day and you're busting everything. You know, I said, no, no, this is what's happening. It broke off. There's the pressure thing. It's broken off. It's rotten. He says, I said, I'm supposed to preach in about a half hour. And so he said, just go, go, go. I'll take care of it. So Holly and I are going down San Andreas, and we see these three huge fire trucks. And they look like they're on fire. And they are just flying down here, and we're just kind of going, good luck. <laughs> so I hope I'm not arrested for a false report. It was not false. We were going to drown. So, but I'm drying off, so I, you know, I, so if I smell a little mildew, I'm sorry. It's not totally my, my fault. I want to, I want to walk you through something, a concern that I've observed as I've observed the church over the last 50 years as a pastor. And what I'm talking about is the tendency that Christians have to front load the Christian life. What I mean by front loading it is turning it in from a relationship to religion. It is so easy for us to take the Christian faith and, and, and let a relationship slip, <laughs> slip, a relationship, basically slip into a, a, a lived out practice religion. And then Christianity becomes just another religion that people evaluate if they like it or not. And they miss the whole point. See, you gotta understand something is that gee, God never refers to us, Jesus never refers to us as Christians. Uh, that title was slapped on us 2,000 years ago, first in Acts 11, down in Antioch. What was happening is if you were a real compatriot in Rome, then every six months you'd pinch a little uh, incense and say, Caesar is Lord. The word Caesar is Kaiser, like World War II, the Kaiser. And they were called Kaiserianus. Kaiserianus because they were compatriots. They would worship Caesar as Lord. But there were these people called the way that they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord, only Christ is Lord. So they began to make fun of them, calling them Christerianus, Christ worshipers. And it stuck, but they were mocking. Matter of fact, that's why you hear it again when Peter says, if you suffer as a Christian, this was under Nero, then, 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 then realize, just be faithful. Then when Paul's before King Agrippa, it's the only other time you have the term, and Agrippa says, you know, Paul, you almost convinced me to be one of those Kaiserianus, Christians. But you see, God always refers to us 
not as Christians, because that, for the early people, thought that's just another religion. And they would compare Christianity as just another religion, and to this day, people do that. The reality, it's okay you call yourself a Christian, because we do worship Christ. But the Father, well, John 1.12, as many as believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to them God gave them the right to be called, become what? The children of God. Romans 8.16, don't you know the Spirit of God in you bears witness with your spirit? You are a child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The chapter ends with God saying, I'll be a father to you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me. What kind of relationship does God want? Does he want Jesus to come and found a, a new religion that needs to be practiced? Or a new relationship that needs to be lived out? See, the point really is, when everything's said and done, if we're children of God, then, then what kind of relationship does God want with us? Because he calls us children. Christianity is a religion to be lived out, and it's just compared with other religions. But what about the fact of you living out your relationship with your heavenly Father? Yeah, God is God, creator, and we're creatures, and God's got all kinds of creatures. He's got dogs and cats and worms and horses and you. The only thing is that says that in Genesis 127, God created us in his own what? Image. Now, do you understand what that means? We're creating the image of God. We bear the image of God. You know, there's themes for books, themes for songs, themes for movies. Do you ever wonder what the theme of the universe is all about? Well, Psalm 19 makes it very clear. Theme of the universe is all things were created to what? Glorify God. Now what does that mean? To glorify someone means to manifest what someone is like. And it's true, like Paul says in Romans 1, you look at the heavens and the earth and you learn two things about God, his eternal power, his divine nature, as Paul says it, we would say he's strong, big, and he is smart. The only trouble is I grew up in junior high and we had some really smart bullies bumming all around us. So how do I know if I look at the heavens and the earth that God is powerful and God is smart? That doesn't make much for a relationship. How come I may not believe that he's just some cosmic bully pushing us around? See, you don't learn one personal thing about God, what God is like from the universe. You just see that he's powerful and that he's eternally smart. And you can't learn anything from animals. Even in the scripture, nowhere in the Bible does it say angels bear the image of God. And what can you learn about the person, the personality, the nature of God from angels? You don't study angels in the Bible and all you learn is that they obey. They're great examples. Obey, 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 obey. But you don't ever learn anything about God himself. And yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, don't you know you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Doxazo is the word. It means to partake of God's glory and manifest it. I mean, the most remarkable thing is we have a capacity to be able to manifest the beauty of what our creator is like. And you do that as a child who wants to honor his father, who wants to honor her father. So when it's said that we're created in the image of God, that's our whole sense of purpose. I hope you've been reading the last five years, the increase of suicides for kids. 
And, and young men and women up into their 20s and big thing is this idea of no sense of purpose. No sense of why, why are we even here? I mean, you live. You die. They put you in a hole. The flower grows. The cow comes along and eats the flower. We kill the cow. We eat the cow. We live. We die. They put us in a hole. The flower grows. The cow comes along, eats the flower. We live. We die. They put us in a hole. Don't you think we're a little bit more than fancy manure? That there's something else going on, and it ties into this fact that we bear the image of God. We have a capacity to manifest what our Creator, what our Heavenly Father actually is like. In, in Exodus 34, after Moses says, God, show me your glory, God answers that question. He gives a list. For I am gracious. I'm long-suffering. I forgive. I love. I mercy. I give. There's things about his personality that God wants known. And the only way he's going to manifest in this world is through those who bear his image. But you know, the image of God in mankind is pretty smudged up, wouldn't you say? So people have no idea what God is like. Because sometimes I look at people who bear the image of God and they're, they're self-serving, they're angry, they're impatient, they're, they're bitter. So maybe God's just like that. And yet God has called some to be his children to glorify him. That is the theme of the universe to manifest the beauty of what our Heavenly Father is because if people can get a good look and know what God is like, they will be drawn to Him. But the only shot they've got is when they see His children manifesting what He's like. So the question comes up, where do you start? Well, the Apostle Paul says, well, you start with the fact that are you even a child of God? Do you have not a Christian religion, but do you have a relationship with God, not as your Creator, He's got all enough creations around, but as a child to a father. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 1. He says this, Now in him, after you were listening to the message of truth. What message? The gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise. So the very first thing he says, you heard the gospel. And when you heard the gospel, you believed. Now, 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 what is it that you heard? What's the gospel? That there's a God, a creator, who created you, but for a purpose. But we created the most remarkable cosmic betrayal because we turned our backs. Do you know the, the purest form of hatred is indifference? And so we turned our back and we decided we'd be concerned about everything, including ourselves, except for our heavenly father, our creator. That's what the Bible calls sin. We, we turned our backs on him. But God, because he is love, and that means God values what he creates, no matter how it turns out. And so God created a way for a pardon, forgiveness. And that because he's holy and just, he would pour that justice. Because what are the consequences of turning your back on God? God doesn't walk away from us. We walked away from him. And that is separation from God, and God doesn't want that for you. That's why he created forgiveness. His own son, he poured his justice on that cross. That's why the cross is such a big deal. And then he proved that the death of his son was in your place by raising him on the third day. We celebrate Easter. So the fact is, first you heard the gospel that there's a God who loves you, provided the pardon. His son died on the cross for that pardon to be in play. All you've got to do is tell the truth. 
Own up to your sinfulness. Have you ever tried to forgive somebody who doesn't believe that they ever did anything wrong? Have you ever tried to forgive somebody who refuses to believe they even desire to be forgiven? You can't. But that's why, that's all repentance is, is telling the truth. God, you're God and I'm not. I turn my back on you. And yet you've provided a way for me to be forgiven and brought back into a relationship. No longer a creature to a creator, but a son, a daughter, to a father. Now the most remarkable thing, what is the nature? What is a bad case of the normals for a son or a daughter who has a loving father? You want to honor them. You want to honor them. So the question comes up, is how do I know I'm a child of God? Well, John, a lot of people don't know. John, remember he, he, he wrote, which most people think is the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Remember in the year 1895, Domitian puts him on the island. It's a penal island called Patmos, right off the coast of Ephesus. And what a lot of people don't know is John gets off the island. How do you think we got the book of Revelation? You see, when he's on the island of Patmos, Holly and I have been on that island a couple of times. There's no food service. There's no medical care. You go on the island and you starve, you die, and they throw you in the water and you're fish food. And any book that you receive, no matter how you received it, is going to be fish food as well. Do you ever wonder how did we get the book of Revelation if John stayed on the island? But you see, in AD 96, we're told by Jerome that Domitian, who put Paul, I'm put John there, was basically assassinated by one of his officials. Be careful who you hire. <laughs> and so John gets off the island. And as he gets off the island, he goes back to his home church, which was the church in Ephesus. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he looks down, and what does he see? He only sees one disciple, one apostle. And who was that? John. And who's standing next to John? His mother, Mary. And remember right there as Jesus is carrying the, the pressure of the cross, <laughs> the wrath of God, he's concerned about who's going to take care of mom. Remember, he gives commissions. John, there, you take care of mom. And mom, this is your son to take care of you. Well, in Acts chapter 7, all of a sudden, there's this persecution against Christians explodes in Jerusalem. John pulls Mary out of there because she is the mother of this Jesus who's causing all the problem. Takes her as far away from Jerusalem as he can. And that's in modern day Turkey, that's Asia Minor, that's Ephesus. Holly and I have been there as well and there's a memorial to that's where Mary died and was buried. So John gets off the island and he goes back to Ephesus. He brings the book of Revelation. Oh, well, people don't understand that he writes three more books. He's at later in life now. He could be late 80s at this time. And, and, and he goes and he hand delivers these seven letters there in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. But then he becomes the presbyteros, the aged one. Like a, a bishop of these seven churches that formed this circle. And Jerome in the 4th century tells us that he was so old. And now remember, he's the last living apostle. He's the last living eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. And so people wanted to hear this guy. And so they would carry him, actually literally carry him from church to church. Well, oh, people, man, you want to get tickets for this thing. So they would show up, and Jerome tells us that all John would say is, my little children, love one another. He repeated three times, 
love one another. Love one another. And people thought, I paid 20 bucks for a ticket for this. And so there was pushback. And Jerome tells us that when there was pushback, John basically said, for this is the command of Jesus Christ. And this is what he said, the exact words. And when this is done, it is all sufficient. All sufficient. This was a big deal. So the question comes up is that John is now an older man and he writes three more letters because the book of Revelation brought up some questions and they're called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Yes, they were written after the book of Revelation which blows the socks off of a lot of people because they say, well, the book of Revelation is the last book. The book of Revelation is about the end of all things, the new heaven, new earth. Where do you put the picking book? You put it at the end, of course. But it's not the last book that was written. John writes. And now as an older man in his 80s, he's writing to not first generation Christians. These are the folks who knew, heard, watched Jesus. And he's not writing to the second generation Christians. These are the people who knew people or had parents who had seen Jesus and knew of the resurrection. He's writing to third generation Christians. They're like us. They're just believing the testimony of the apostles of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these are the people in John 17 that Jesus prayed for. Remember, after he prays for the lugs there, he says, now, Lord, I pray for those who will believe who have not seen me. And so now he's going to write here in 1 John to these third generation Christians as a father of the faith because he sees they are getting all confused and catch it. They're starting to believe that Christianity, as they're all being called, is a religion. Just like all the religions. And they're slipping from a relationship to a religion. A relationship is lived out. A religion is practiced. And why is it so important for you to know that you're a child of God? What does a child do when that child is insecure on whether or not that's dad? That's my father. Either they finally get mad and they walk away or they perform. And they work so hard to try to prove that, that I've got to please my father. That's my father. And that's why God says, no, 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 no. And through John, he says, I write these things. In chapter 5, verse 13, John says, now these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Can you believe Here's the purpose clause. In order that you may know that you have eternal life. What's eternal life? Going to live forever and ever. Everybody's, every soul is going to live forever and ever. What's eternal life? Well, in John 17, the first two verses, Jesus defines it. Remember when he prays, he says, Father, I've come that they might have eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they may, do you know it? Know you and the one whom you sent that they would have a relationship with me as a father would have with a son, with a daughter. This thing's about a relationship. It's not about a new religion to practice and to perform. So he says, I write these things that you might know that you have this relationship with the creator, God as your father. And the Greek uh, had two words for to know something. They had the word gnosko, which means you learn it. You didn't know it, you know it now. This is another word called oida. And the word oida means to intuitively know without any doubt. So John says he writes this letter, 1 John, for the purpose 
of us knowing without even any question that I'm a child of God. And that's why I have this deep desire to want to honor God as my father. And this is all about I follow Christ. I'm a child of God. With a, I'm a child with a heavenly father. That's who I am. The world labels me as a Christian. And they think I'm living out some practicing some religion. But the reality is, no, I, I, I'm a child. I'm a child of God. And God happens to be my heavenly father. And I have a deep desire to honor him. So what John is going to do here is simply, and I'm just going to summarize it for you and hope you read the book. It's only five chapters. But in chapter two, he, he, he introduces the three spiritual birthmarks. You know, a spiritual birthmark is a proof that you were born. Here he says, I want to give you three evidences that you can look at in your own life and whether or not you have this relationship. Because what you're going to see is the very evidence the Spirit of God is in you. Remember again in Ephesians 1.17. After you heard the gospel, you believed, and you were sealed by the what? The Holy Spirit. Paul says, you don't have the Spirit of God. People forget God put part of himself in us. And part of himself was the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I can see some evidence that the Holy Spirit's in me, then I know I have a relationship with God as my Father. And so John's going to give us very three very clear, and you're going to be able to answer yeah or no. And he summarizes these in chapter 2, first spiritual birthmark. Look at what he says. Verse 3. I was word you're going to read the whole text. Here we are. Verse 3. Now, and by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Oh, great. I'm, I'm dead at the right out of the gate. <laughs> no, it doesn't say if we obey his commandments, if we keep his commandments. He's not saying we're perfect. We do everything at Christ's commands. I mean, he just finished talking about if we say that we have no sin, we call God a what? A liar. He's just talked about that we will fall. We will sin. And we confess. It's like breathing. I, I confess sin I, 20 times a day. And as you mature, you don't become less sensitive to sin in your life. You become more sensitive to it. And like I say, confession is something not strange. It's just breathing for a mature Christian. But here he says, first birthmark is that every Christian, you know that you've come to know him if you tereo is the word. Keep his commandments. The word tereo means to guard, treat something as precious. In other words, you don't blow off the commands of Christ. That's what it means. And when we do blow it, and we do, it bothers us. Therefore, we do confess it. We own up to it. We're humbled by it. And notice here when he says we confess, next verse. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep Tereo, his commandments, is a liar. Boy, you sure know he's not running for office, is he? He just cuts it right out there. I love, Holly and I are turning 73, and uh, she's actually 73 right now. I'll be 73 September 6th. But she doesn't like the word cougar, so we just kind of don't bring that up. <laughs> but the fact is, the older you get, the more you just cut it straight, because you don't care anymore what people say to you. I mean, I'm going to be dead in five years, so pfft, on you. <laughs> so he says here, his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know, we know. So now what is this? What's he talking about? That I tereo, I guard. We don't blow off the commands of Christ. 
See, Ezekiel 36 has this great prophecy that when Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, and you believe, not only will he sprinkle you clean, wash you of your sins, but the second thing he says, and I will pull out your heart of stone and put a new heart in you, for I'll place my spirit in you, and he will cause you to walk in my statutes. In other words, one evidence that the spirit of God is in you is that you honor, you desire to know the commands of Christ. And they're precious to you. You don't blow off what Jesus says. And the reason you don't is because you have this deep desire you never had before. Instead of fearing God as creator or being indifferent to God, I have this desire to honor God as my father. My problem, I don't have a clue how. And so we have 30,000 denominations. And we have some people in Egypt cut people's heads off and say, we're doing it because we love God. And so you think God's going to trust us to just come up with how we're going to love him? So if, if, wouldn't it be great if there was some guy that actually pulled it off, knew how to honor God perfectly? Boy, I'd follow him. Also, grasshopper. Uh, actually, there is a guy. Uh, his initials are JC. Remember at his baptism, Jesus heard from heaven the voice of God, and what did God say about Jesus Christ at his baptism? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm And then in Matthew 17, a second time in his transfiguration, God speaks again. He says, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And he says, listen to him. Why do you think we are not disciples of the Holy Spirit? And we're not disciples of God the Father. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we want to become more like Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the only one who knows how to honor the Father perfectly. So the more I'm like Christ, I follow Christ. Then I'll be able to fill my heart's desire to honor God as my Father the way God wants to be honored. That's why we follow Christ. Who am I? I'm a child with a heavenly Father. And I follow Christ because he's shown me how to honor him. How to honor God. So the first birthmark, you notice it says here, is the very fact that I have this deep desire to honor God. And because the commands of Christ are not trying to rain on your parade. It's not I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. No, that's religion. What he's talking about is that Christ, every command of Christ is how to honor the Father. That's why I value the commands of Christ. I treat them as precious. I pursue them in my life because I'm driven by one thing. Not a bunch of do's and don'ts of religion. Not a bunch of disciplines. I just want to honor my Heavenly Father. And the ones going to help me know how to do that are the commands of whom? We're disciples of Jesus Christ. Second birthmark. He says in verse 8, verse 7, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word which you have heard. But on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment. It's not like he's selling a car. You know, well, it's new, but it's not new. It's kind of old. What's old? You had it before, but it's kind of new. What's new about it? Well, he's talking about, notice goes on to say, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause of stumbling in him. See, see the command to love uh, is old because all the way back in Leviticus uh, 18 and 19. Moses said, love your brother, love your neighbors yourself. But here there's a different twist to it. 
Remember Jesus commands in John 13, 34, and 35, this command I give unto you. The word is entole. Jesus didn't command his apostles to do a lot of stuff. I command breakfast. You know, I command that we go to Nazareth. Never. So when he's that night before he's crucified, he's going to be arrested in about three, four hours. And he's talking to the boys there that evening, and he says, and this command I give unto you. Their heads popped up because they're not used to hearing Jesus talking about commanding. And he says, this command I give unto you that you what? Love one another as I have loved you. For if you love one another as I have loved you, and here's the purpose clause, all men will know you are my what? My disciples. Uh-oh. You know what he just did? He just gave the world the right to judge us as phonies based on the way we treat each other. What's most remarkable is later in John 17, he's praying to the Father. He says, Lord, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. Here it is. Jesus, don't do it. Ah, he does it. So that the world will know I came from you. So now Jesus gives the world the right to judge whether he's a phony on the way we treat each other. You think the way we treat each other is kind of important? Now notice it says here that he commands us, and this is to love. Why is this such a big deal? Love, a love, a love, a love. Is this kissy, facey, huggy body stuff? What's the love? We're so confused about this love thing. In Matthew 22, Jesus is having his normal debate with the scribes, and he's smarter than they are, so he always beats them. Love it. Well, they get ticked, so they hire a lawyer, a Pharisee, to come. You read it yourself in Matthew 22. And so this lawyer, Pharisee, he's going to test Jesus. And so he says, all right, Jesus, what's the most important thing God ever said? Now, the word he uses, what's the greatest of all the commandments? But that's what he's asking. And I think I would like to know the answer to that. What's the most important thing God has ever said? And I'd like to hear the answer from Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus responds to love God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And the lawyer goes, well, I kind of thought you would say that, and kind of walks away. She says, hey, come back, I'm not done. She says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. For upon this commandment is as the first. For upon these two commandments, all the law, all the prophets rest. Now here's what's interesting. Later on, if you study the book of Galatians, you get to chapter 5. Paul writes chapter 5, verse 14, and he asks this question. Do you want to fulfill the law of Christ? Well, you go, well, yeah. And Paul said, then love your neighbors yourself. You go, wait, 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 Paul, did we have a little senior moment there? You kind of forgot the first part. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul doesn't even mention the loving God part. He just says, you want to fulfill the law of Christ? Love your neighbors yourself. Well, maybe Paul's getting older and he's losing it. I identify with that, all right? <laughs> But if he's losing it, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is losing it too. Because James chapter 2, verse 8, James says, you want to fulfill the royal law of God? Yeah. Guess what he says? Love your neighbors yourself. James, you and Paul, a little dementia here. You're forgetting the first part of loving God. No, they're not. You Like I said, do you think God's going to let us decide how we're going to love him? But we're going to, like I said, create all kinds of religions and rituals and religion to try to prove that we're loving God so we can show off to others how much we love God. And God says, no, 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 no. I'll tell you how I'm loved. God says, I'm loved only one way. 
And that's when you love those created in my image. When you love your neighbors yourself, that is how you love God. If you don't love your neighbors yourself, you are not loving God. And that's why he says you still walk in darkness if you hate your brother. Remember, the purest form of hate is indifference. That's why it's such a big deal. Now, this love thing. Uh, what do I do? Because there's people who claim to be Christians I really don't like. And I feel really guilty because I'm supposed to love them, but how do you love people sometimes they're so unlikable? <laughs> oh, it was so great to finally have studied some years back. See, the Greeks had different words for love. They, they had the word eros, like erotic love. It's not in the Bible, but it's passion. It's great. It's an emotion. And can you command an emotion? No. That's why it's never commanded. They had the word philo, uh, friendship. A kind of a love that if two people share something in common, you love skiing, golfing, whatever it is, and you share that in common, you love that thing in common, then that friendship, that affinity you have for each other, the Greeks called philo. And that was a, but it's an emotion. Can you command an emotion? No. Then they had the word storge. That's kind of what you're stuck with with Aunt Zelma and Uncle Bert, who gets drunk every Thanksgiving. I mean, that, that's family love. That's what you got when you have sisters, brothers, love, you gotta, 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 well, that's what the Greeks called storge. But it too is an emotion, an affection. Can you command an emotion? No. So let me ask you this. Where does Jesus get off? In John 13, verse 34 and 35, commanding this commandment I give unto you, to what? To love. Interesting, he doesn't say eros because you can't command any emotion. He doesn't say uh, philo, cannot command any emotion. Doesn't say storge, cannot command any emotion. But he picks a word, agape, which was not really a popular word in Greek literature because all it meant was a choice to recognize the worth of something and care about its well-being. It's not an emotion. That's why Christ commands it. So it has nothing to do with how we feel. I don't have to feel anything. You don't have to like me. I don't have to like you. Isn't that great? But I do recognize by choice your worth. And you, are, you bear the image of God. And you're worth Jesus Christ to the Father. Therefore, as a child who wants to honor the Father, value what he values, I will care about your well-being and I will respect. When does somebody feel loved? Have you ever thought about that? Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. How do you do that? You see, you feel love when you feel two things. You feel protected and honored. You feel loved. You want to know why? Because that's when you feel safe. And when you feel safe, that is the feeling of feeling loved. And so when I recognize by choice, you don't have to like me, I don't have to like you but by choice, because a command is always a command to an act of will, a choice of will. And who is it in us that causes us to recognize the worth of my neighbor, of people who bear the image of God, worth Jesus Christ of the Father? That is, who's, who's given me that recognition? The Holy Spirit. It's a birthmark. And because I recognize the worth of everyone, Therefore, I care. I don't have to like him, don't have to have emotion, not kissy facey, huggy body. It is that I care, I may will protect if I can, and I will always honor. Third birthmark, and we come to a close. 
He says this, little children, it's the last hour. Just you've heard, Antichrist is coming. Now there's many Antichrists. Who is Antichrist? Well, again, he's making reference back to the book of Revelation, the beast. But he's talking about anybody who is Antichrist is what? Antichrist, all right? He says there's an Antichrist spirit. People saying, I am against Christ because I don't believe in him. Now watch what he sets up here. Verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar? Well, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. For whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. He says, you have this anointing and you know. What is it you know? He says, you know the truth. Truth about what? That Jesus is the Christ. Here's what he's talking about. Do you think you figured Jesus out on your own? You think it's some kind of mathematical, mathematical formula, some algorithm, that you were so brilliant that when you heard the gospel, you went, hmm, 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 hmm. You know, I believe that because it makes sense. Listen, I know brilliant scholars who do not believe in Christ. And I know brilliant, brilliant scholars who do. I know num-nums who don't and num-nums who do. There are older children, children recognize who Christ is. Do you really think you figured it out? Even Jesus admitted, come on, what do we got? Jesus, what about five, eight, 2,000 years ago, a little Jewish guy? He's God in a bod, created the heavens and the earth, got in trouble with Rome was executed. Oh, but that's a sacrifice that God provided. And if I believe that that sacrifice was for my sin, and I believe that, well, then I get to go to heaven. That is the most bizarre story I've ever heard. What I don't understand is how come I absolutely believe it. See, it was Jesus in John 6, 44, when Jesus admitted, you're not going to believe who I am. He knows it. He says, no one comes unto me. But what does he say? Unless the Father draws him. Now listen to verse 45. For the prophets say that my Father in heaven will cause you to learn of me. Who do you think caused you to recognize the truth that Jesus is the Christ? He's the Son of God. You think you figured it out on your own? Now, I don't know the mystery about it. Was your heart open and God therefore moved in response to that? Or did you, I don't know and I don't care. The point is, is now I understand why I absolutely believe that Jesus is God the Son and that he's the Christ because the Heavenly Father caused me to recognize the truth. And it doesn't tick me off when I meet people who don't. Because for whatever reason, I understand how they cannot believe that gospel, that story, unless... The Father opens their heart, their mind, and they understand. We don't have to take it so personally in that respect. So the remarkable thing is simply this. I, that's a spiritual birthmark. Now what's interesting is this, the Son of God. What is what John saying, John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And just to show you what makes God, God, we'll go with Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. What's the first thing God wanted us to know? That he was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If 
you think you're a god, show me the universe you created lately, all right? So what does he do about the word? For all things came into being with him, through him, without him, nothing came into being. Well, what is the word who was with God, was God, and created everything? Verse 14. Remember what verse 14 is of John 1? Christmas. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten, some translates it God, or Son of God. What about the Christ part? Do you remember in Matthew 16, Peter, Jesus talking to Peter, and Jesus says, Peter, who do men say I am? Peter says, well, some say you're Jeremiah, Elijah, uh, one of the prophets. And remember, Jesus says, Peter, who do you say I am? And remember, Peter pops off, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know, Peter went, whoa, I'm going to win the contest. I'm going to win that belt. I'm going to get the gold star. I got it. I loved what Jesus came right back at him and said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. It would be in about five minutes. Jesus would say, you know, I'm going to be crucified. Peter goes, no, you're not. And don't you love it when Jesus, the one guy who just said, you are the Christ, son loving God. What's the next thing Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. Now, now Peter, Jesus was not calling Peter a little devil. He was just saying, guess who planted that thought to cause you to say, since you just speak with no screams. My wife says I have that tendency as well. But the point being is that whatever comes to mind, you speak. Well, so it was with Peter, but the power behind those words was Satan himself. Here's the point. You didn't figure out the gospel. You didn't become a believer and recognize that Jesus was the son of God, God the son, and that he's the Christ, God's provision for our pardon, our forgiveness. You didn't figure it out. The father in heaven knew something about you and he caused you to recognize it. And it's the spirit of God that causes you to recognize the truth about who this little Jewish God in a bod was. That's the truth. He's Jesus Christ. So there you have basically the three spiritual birthmarks. How do I know that I know? Well, it's very simple. I ask myself, Daryl, do you have a deep desire to guard and respect? Are the commands of Christ important and precious to you? So that when you blow it, it bums you out and you confess it. Because you know the commands of Christ is the very way you're going to learn to honor God as your father, which is your deepest desire. Uh, yeah. Or maybe your answer is, no, not really. Second birthmark. Daryl, do you recognize the worth of people? That they bear the image of God, worth Jesus Christ to others? Do you really care about protecting and honoring those who are hurting around you, caring about their well-being by choice because something within you causes you to recognize who they are, that God has created them and they bear his image. I don't always like people and boy, they sometimes just tick me off. But the truth is I still recognize their importance and their worth. Yeah. Second birthmark. Third birthmark. Daryl, do you follow Christ? The world calls you a Christian because they want to label you as a religion. But see, for Daryl, for you, it's just that you want to honor God as your father. That's a relationship. It's lived out. And therefore, you recognize what God places worth on 
and therefore you recognize that Jesus, the Father, engaged himself and caused you, causes you to continue to recognize who Jesus is. He's my Lord. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. He's my Savior. That's why I will follow him and always be grateful for him. This is not a religion. And even though the world, even to this day, will slap that label on us, and that's why people mock Christianity, because all kinds of people, Jesus talked about wheat and what? Tares. What do you think tares are? People claim to be Christians. And yet, it's not about a religion. And so my prayer is, don't front load Christian life. Stop it. I, I'm not a very good counselor. I do the Bob Newhart approach. Stop it! <laughs> Just let it be a relationship. Instead of running around saying, I'm a Christian. Why don't you say, I'm a child with a heavenly father and I have this deep desire to honor God. And so I follow Christ. That's who I am. Because I let God define me. I let God declare who I am. And that's the honest truth that you can describe your faith. It's not a religion and don't let it slip into one. I close with this. See, in a relationship, people see the beauty of who God is. In a religion, all they see is how self-righteous you are because you can discipline yourself to keep all the rules and regulations. And so if you're just embracing this as a religion, then all you're showing the world is how remarkable you are. But what's the theme of the universe? Glorify God. To manifest the beauty of what he's like. He chooses to do it through us. This is what we're all about. Does this make sense, folks? Because if it doesn't, I'll do it all over again. He said I can go as long as I want. I won't.